This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the place to stay updated and educated. Hello and welcome to Tech Guide, episode 423. You're listening to the podcast that keeps you updated and educated about the latest consumer tech news and reviews. My name is Stephen Fennec. I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, we're going to give you our verdict on the iPhone 12, an iPhone 12 Pro. Yes, we've been using them for a while now. The research that shows cash and credit cards are headed for extinction. And in our celebrity tech interview, we catch up with novelist and presenter Tara Moss. In the Tech Guide Reviews, we're going to take a look at the new iPad Air. We'll also take a listen to the AudioFly AFT2 wireless earphones. And Foxtel has introduced voice control to the IQ3 and IQ4. And we'll answer all of your tech questions in the Tech Guide Help Desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that keeps you connected, and Norton, the company that keeps you protected. Well, the iPhone 12 and iPhone 12 Pro, the two 6.1-inch iPhones, are now available. We've been using them for a little while now, and we have published our review on Tech Guide, and we thought we'd go through our review with you now. Uh, Several things to cover here. This is the biggest release Apple have produced for quite a while. In fact, I'd say probably the best iPhone, without a doubt. Uh, the biggest launch too. I think there's so much more interest in this new iPhone than there has been for several years. Uh, and there's a number of factors for, but, but for that reason. Uh, the, the the fact that there's a new design, the fact that it's uh, it just, just technically it's taken a, a huge leap forward in terms of performance, the camera's improved even further, and also to the fact that it now is a 5G device. I think that's just created a perfect storm of interest among uh, among Apple customers, Apple iPhone users who have been potentially holding on to a previous iPhone for several years. They have looked the same for, for the last seven years. So um, I don't think there's been as much motivation to change. Uh, on, on average, we're holding on to our devices for more than three years, would you believe? So there'll be potentially some customers who are, are using an iPhone 8 or, or even an iPhone 10 and thinking whether it, it'll be whether it's time to upgrade to the 12. If you are, I can tell you right now, it is definitely worth the upgrade. Now, uh, the design is probably the first thing we're going to see. The first thing you notice anyway about the changes, that is the most obvious change. The design has taken uh, a, a total left turn away from the edges, away from the curves that have been around since the iPhone 6. The iPhone 6 was was unveiled in 2014. That's how long it's been the, that the iPhone has had curved edges. The iPhone 12 
is a bit of a step back in time. It, it does look a little bit like the iPhone 4 and 5. The iPhone 4 was released 10 years ago. The iPhone 5 and 5S in 2011 and I think in 2012. So uh, it, it was, I remember at that time, those were the models, the 4 and 5, that really took uh, Apple, in the iPhone, into the stratosphere. This, the iPhone 5, if you cast your mind back, was the first iPhone that had a larger screen. The iPhone 4 still had, I think, a 4.6-inch screen, and which at the time was the smallest of all, all the flagship phones. The 5 was the one that sort of took it to the next level with a larger screen. And then, of course, the 6 and 6 Plus were the ones that it took it even further. But the, the design is, is pretty fresh still, even despite the fact that it does look a bit like the 4 and 5. It is still pretty fresh, those angular, that more angular design. It, it is, I think, with that larger screen and without the home button, it's it's it does give it a totally different look and feel to those older those older iPhones as well. It's it's got also a lot in common with the iPad Pro. Anyone who's had a recent iPad Pro and even the new iPad Air, which I'll talk about in the review section uh, a little bit later in the show, that it has also adopted a similar design language with with those flat edges. The phone itself still has an IP68 rating, so it's good for a spill if you you drop your your, your phone or drop a drink on your phone. Uh, so look and feel, I think, uh, a, a welcome change to the design. And, of course, with that comes new cases. Uh, the 12 Pro and the 12, uh, in terms of its dimensions, are, are identical. So if you bought an iPhone 12 or an iPhone 12 Pro case, they will work on either phone. So there's no distinct, there's no change, there's no difference between the 12 and 12 Pro in terms of size and thickness and shape, they are the same. Even the camera module on the back is the same. It's just the, the 12 has one less lens, but that little square that pops out the back of the of the case is, is the same, exactly the same size. So I think saves Apple having to manufacture two different uh, cases for the 12 and the 12 Pro. Let's move on to the display. And again, it's the 6.1-inch Super Retina XDR OLED display with a 2 million to 1 contrast ratio. If you're watching my review on YouTube, I've, I've done a video review, and I mistakenly said it was a 2,000 to 1 contrast ratio. So please forgive me. It is a 2 million to 1 contrast ratio. Uh, I've had that pointed out by a couple of, uh, a couple of viewers. Uh, but anyway, it, this screen has twice as many pixels as the iPhone 11. And if you thought the Retina display of, of the 11 was good, this you will notice the improvement with the 12. It, it is not hard to see the added level of sharpness and the detail that you that your apps now have. Your photos and videos look great. Websites look great. Reading on the screen is just so the, the type is really crisp, really easy to read it. One addition to the display is to the actual material of the display is ceramic shield. Now, this is a process where uh, the ceramic uh, atoms are bonded to the screen to give it uh, added strength. Now, this, Apple says, gives the Apple more drop protection. The, the iPhone, I should say, gives the iPhone more drop protection. And and anyone who's ever dropped their iPhone will know it's a scary thing having to pick it up again. And if you see a shattered screen, it's uh, it's pretty bad. In this case, Apple says there's four times more resistance to drops, to, to damage when you drop it. So chances are you drop your phone, it's four times 
less chance of it breaking? I don't know how it works. But the idea of this is, I think, to protect from the drop rather than the scratch. Now, I'm, I'm just trying to research this myself still, whether this would protect the screen from being scratch resistant as well. I'll tell you now that it do, it doesn't. I've, I've noticed in, I've, I've had both phones for a week now, and I've mainly used the Pro. I have put my SIM card in the 12 as well, but less than half the amount of time I've had it in the Pro. And the 12 has already a number of little screen, little scratches on the display. And you can only see them in when the screen's turned off and when it's reflecting it a certain way. But if Apple keep telling me that this is the best and strongest screen they've ever produced, then why does it keep scratching like this? And and, and, and it's not like I dropped it or did anything. It was just in my bag or in my pocket. But yeah, there's still these little scratches appear on the screen. Uh, maybe it's I might do a separate story and take some photos and take that even further. But overall, if if you drop the phone, that's the point here that if if it's less likely to break. Under the hood, of course, improved silicon here, the A14 Bionic chip, and that just takes it takes it another step further in terms of not only just speed and graphics performance, but also efficiency. I found the battery on the iPhone lasted a day and a half, nearly two days uh, between charges, and the 11 was the same. I, I was very happy with the battery life on the 11. This just takes it uh, even further. But in terms of the processing power, it is a lot. It is great when you're playing games, when you're using those high-end apps. Uh, editing 4K video on the move. We'll talk about the camera a little bit later, but th- th- it's all all the, this new processor does all the heavy lifting. The A14 Bionic chip, Apple's very own silicon, uh, does a fantastic job. Now let's talk about, of course, the fact that this is a 5G phone, and the the 12, 12 Pro, Apple's very first 5G devices, and Apple, I think, made a a, con- a, a very conscious decision to wait with 5G. I think if they had announced 5G with the with the iPhone 11, which which there were some theories that they would have done that a year ago, uh, just just so they can match it with other companies like Samsung and Huawei and Oppo and all these other companies that were producing 5G devices by then, Apple decided no, it's too soon, so they waited. Like I think in September last year, I think there was like five or six phones in the market. Telstra launched. 5G in June 2019, I think it had three or four phones and a a hotspot, a Wi-Fi hotspot from HTC. So Apple didn't really feel any pressure here to join the 5G brigade. They decided to wait. And I think if they had have released an iPhone 11 with 5G, I think a lot of customers would have been disappointed because the size of the network was quite small. Uh, Fast forward to 2020 and the 5G networks across Telstra, Vodafone and Optus now are within reach of nearly half of the Australian population. So your chances of being in a 5G area are way higher now than it would have been a year ago. So Apple, again, showing the fact that they don't want to be first to market, they want to be best to market. They want to offer this when it would be more of more interest to customers. And as a result, it's just increased awareness about what 5G is and, that, and the fact that it's there. The telcos are, are, are taking advantage of this as well. Telstra and Optus are really fighting a battle to win more customers onto their 5G networks with all kinds of specials and, and plan options and price matches and you name it, they are desperate to get more customers onto their 5G networks because Apple, that's the power of Apple, more people are now aware of 5G. If you've been using an iPhone 
all of your in 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 all the time you've owned a smartphone, then five G you've never heard of till now, or never experienced, or even thought about it until right now. But now that it does have five G, it's that rising tide that's going to lift all boats. We're going to see a lot of more a lot more attention on five G, a lot more awareness on five G, and people are learning about it. Uh, the the of the five G that is going to be used in the iPhone here. There's actually two models of the iPhone. 12. There's one for the US market, which is the uh, using millimeter wave. That's one form of 5G that has shorter range but higher speed. Here in Australia, we, we've mainly got, we've only got at the moment, sub 6 5G, which means that it has a greater range than, than um, millimeter wave, but less speed. So millimetre wave wave with its shorter range and higher speed is ideal for places like stadiums and, and uh, train stations and airports and the CBDs like central business districts of various places, while sub-6 is still fine for the suburbs. Uh, we were using the iPhone 12 and 12 Pro on the Telstra network. I'm a Telstra customer. And we were we were seeing speeds more than 600 megabits per second uh, we we were uh, didn't even have i think we had two bars of 5g or three bars of 5g and that's including the video if you want to see that live test uh, when i'm hitting the speed test button there the connect button uh, and you can see that for yourself just how fast the the speeds we were getting uh, apple says that the iPhone 12 is capable of speeds, download speeds of up to four gigabits per second. That's 4,000 megabits per second. We didn't get anywhere near that. Closest I got was in the Telstra office last week. I got, I think I got 1,200 megabits per second, but that was standing right near a 5G cell, which I knew was there. And that's the reason why we got that high measurement. But uh, 5G, yes, it's about speed, but it's also about latency. So things happen faster on the network. It's all also about capacity. So more people can can access the cells in, in a certain area. That's why millimeter wave is going to be so important when it's deployed in CBD, stadiums, airports, train stations, all these crowded areas. Uh, but for us in Australia, the iPhone will only support sub-6, which is going to be around for years to come. So don't think if you buy an iPhone 12 and it's going to change in a year. We're still, we are getting millimeter wave. Uh, but that won't be for several years. And even when we do get it, sub-6 will still work and will still be fast. But in, in by then, in two to three, four years' time, when millimetre wave and sub-6 are working together, I'm sure the iPhone 16 or whatever we're up to at that time will have a radio that can support both of types of 5G networks. Okay, let's turn our attention to the camera. And, of course, if you, uh, you can see the difference, the iPhone 12 has the dual camera system. The iPhone 12 Pro has the triple camera system. Now, the, the 12, has, well, 12 Pro has introduced a seven-element lens, which means that you're getting much greater clarity, much better performance in low light as well. Uh, clarity and sharpness just edge to edge in, w- with this new camera. Uh, the big improvement too across both the 12 and the 12 Pro is night mode, which can be now used through any lens on the camera, including the front-facing selfie camera for the first time. So you can take those night portrait night shots is now a possibility. Uh, but if you are shooting video, that's a real standout with the iPhone 12. It is capable of shooting 4K video with HD recording, but it is also the first smartphone to be able to record in Dolby Vision HDR and shoot 4K in that quality at up to 60 frames per second. This is like cinematic stuff out of a phone. 
it's remarkable. So I'm sure photographers, avid photographers, videographers will be taking advantage of this incredible quality you can get out of a smartphone. And that's one thing Apple has always prided itself on is the quality of the images and videos its customers can produce. They have competitions about this. They have billboards just highlighting the quality of their customers' photos and videos. Uh, so remarkable that uh, they've managed to find even more improvement in the cameras on the iPhone 12 and the iPhone 12 Pro. Let's turn our attention to, to MagSafe. MagSafe is the new magnetic wireless charging system, which uh, means that you can attach the MagSafe charger, available uh, separately, by the way. So Apple's MagSafe charger, uh, sold separately, attaches itself to the back of the iPhone magnetically. So a very solid connection it can provide. And that magnet, I think, is going to be used. Belkin have already announced a range of products. It'll be used in a docking system and also a car mount. So I'm looking forward to that. But MagSafe means that once it's attached, it's attached properly. So there's no need to sort of work out where the sweet spot is to get the wireless charger to work. This just magnetically attaches in the right spot every single time, which is pretty handy. Uh, MagSafe will also work through a, a, a case as well. And Apple also have MagSafe cases that attach using that magnet and then it can also charge through those cases also. Now, what you don't get with the iPhone 12 is a charger or earphones. There's a lot of people who uh, are not, not happy about this. Uh, and look, it, it, it is the, a, Apple's reasoning behind this is that They've saved a lot of money, of course, not producing hundreds of millions of, of chargers and earphones. But what are they saying also? It's also saved a massive impact on the environment. The the effect of producing all of those chargers and earphones and shipping them around the world uh, it would, would have impacted on the environment. The result is, though, that the iPhone 12 box is tiny. It's nearly half the size of the last year's box. So in my video, I show you the box, uh, that unboxing, and you see the comparison to the iPhone 12 packaging. And again, this is Apple's effort to reduce the impact of shipping these around the world. They're saying they can fit 70% more product into a single shipment than they could last year. So uh, that, that's, their, that's their aim here. That's their motive behind this. But anyone who, uh, there's been a bit of confusion too. So anyone, anyone who's got a, an old iPhone with a charger and a lightning cable, you still can charge the iPhone 12. It still has an, a, a, a lightning port. In the box, Apple don't give you a charger or earphones. What they do give you is a USB-C to lightning cable. So if you do have to buy a new charger, the charger you buy will have a USB-C connection on the back of it to, to connect to this new cable. Apple will sell you that, that charger, but all these third-party chargers are also now USB-C uh, with the USB-C port on the back. So the charge, the cable that comes with your iPhone 12 can be used with that new charger, whether you buy it from Apple or another company, doesn't matter. On the earphone side, I don't think having no earphones is a deal breaker. So many people now have wireless earphones. Apple doesn't even have a headphone jack, although the earphones they had last year were lightning earphones that connected straight into the lightning port. But again, I don't think people are going to miss it. Uh, and and in, in, at the end of the day, it's actually made the iPhone 12 Pro slightly cheaper than last year's iPhone 11 Pro. So, uh, you know, in terms of pricing, they haven't, they're still within the ballpark of 
all these flagship phones, and in fact, the iPhone 12 Pro, as I said, is is actually cheaper than last year's 11 Pro. So there you have it. There, that is our verdict on the iPhone 12 and iPhone 12 Pro. Uh, check out our full review. Uh, we I rate them very highly. I think these are, without a doubt, the best iPhones Apple's produced. But also, I think now the smartphone to beat on the market. It's it's just such a well, uh, just a total package of great features. 5G, great design, uh, great camera. It's all there. If you want to read our complete review of the iPhone 12 and the iPhone 12 Pro, check it out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. Have you embraced the digital wallet? I know there's a lot of people who just don't don't want to carry a wallet around or don't need to carry a wallet around because they've got their phone and they've got their smartwatch. So they don't really need to carry cash. They don't need to carry plastic. They don't even need to carry their driver's license. Did you know that, that you can put that in your digital wallet as well? You can in New South Wales anyway. I'm uh, the uh, I'm recording this in Sydney in New South Wales, and you can definitely do that if you've got a New South Wales driver's license. I'm sure other states have the same or a similar thing. But a new a new study by popular comparison site Finder has revealed that 19% of Australians, that's the equivalent of 3.7 million people, have turned to their digital wallets to make payments on the move. Now, this survey among more than 1,000 Australians showed that 30% have their debit or credit card connected to their smartphone or smartwatch, with another 10% planning to move across in the near future. That's getting up to 40%, nearly half. And, and, And the only thing stopping another 5% is the fact that their banks do not offer a digital wallet option. You know what? And I've even heard of customers switching banks to get their their card in the digital wallet, like again, an example would be one bank when when none of them when not all of the major banks had Apple Pay, for example. I've heard I think ANZ was the first bank with Apple Pay. Commonwealth Bank was the last. I've heard I heard of many people, some of you listeners as well, who change banks to be able to get Apple Pay. So it just shows we've got more loyalty to our phone than to our bank when it comes to our digital wallet. Not surprisingly, Gen Zers are the biggest users of smart payments with 39% utilising the technology, 6% of baby boomers. But another thing that's boosted the whole cashless thing and the digital wallet is COVID. Now, there'd be, there's plenty of places that don't accept cash, that didn't accept cash during this time. And so a lot of people were turning to contactless payments, the digital wallet, for the very first time. And a lot of them have stayed with it. They've stuck with it because uh, they found it a lot more convenient. So now that's become a a favoured method to pay at the checkout. But some other interesting research from the Reserve Bank uh, this is uh, RBA data that uh, the finder has analysed. They've also shown that ATM cash withdrawals have dropped more than $4 million a month since July 2018. So the number of withdrawals have also more than halved from $50 million in July 2018 to less than $25 million in May 2020. So it... it all signs are indicating that cash and plastic are on their way out. And I do get some naysayers. I, I did get a call on the radio the other day when I was talking about this, asking, well, what happens if you lose your phone? Well, if you lose your phone, uh, you've likely got a passcode on it. So it's, it's face ID locked or fingerprint locked. So no one's going to be able to get into your wallet. And if you lost your physical wallet, 
So you've got cash, cards, then you've lost your cash. They could be tapping and going on your cards as, until, until, you, until it runs out. And by the time you realise and stop your cards and, and order new cards, the damage has been done. So in fact, any, any having a digital wallet, which by the way is triggered by your fingerprint or your face ID, so you authorise that. Uh, so that, that, that in itself is an added layer of security. So that, that it actually proves that a digital wallet is safer than a physical wallet, not a, as well as being more convenient. That is uh, the finer details there, uh, really interesting data. And, and look, cash and plastic, let's face it, they're on the way out. Let us know what you think. Hit me up on Twitter at Stephen Fennec. Tell me whether you're a digital wallet person, whether you even carry a wallet. I know a lot of people that don't. If you want to read more about that story, you can check it out at techguide.com.au. Next up on the show is our celebrity tech segment, and this week we're talking to novelist and presenter Tara Moss. And in fact, it is not her first time on the Tech Guide podcast. Uh, cast your mind back about, I think about five years ago, we had Tara on the show when she was uh, doing some work with Norton, our great sponsors. That She was doing some uh, work on online awareness, online safety, bullying, cyberbullying. And uh, so we, we, have, we have chatted to her uh, on the show before. This time out, of course, we're talking about how she uses technology uh, in her writing, uh, in her in relating on social media, engaging with her readers, and just how she uses it in her day-to-day life. Uh, she's a, a very successful novelist. Her latest novel, The War Widow, is out now. It's a bestseller. I encourage you to read it. But uh, Tara was very kind enough to give us some time to chat to us on the show. Well, hi, Tara. Thanks for joining the Tech Guide podcast. How are you going? I'm great. Thank you so much. It's great to chat again. It's been a few years. Yes, we sh- I should mention that actually that we you have been on the on the show before. You did a bit of work with Norton and uh, talking about online security. So you are pretty tech savvy to begin with, to being a second time interviewee on the Tech Guide podcast. <laughs> Thank you. I'm pretty tech savvy for a writer, I suppose. We, we do tend to be luddites, but um, I've embraced technology really through my whole career, um, but I'm certainly not tech savvy like you are. Well, I think we're going to find out different. I think you, you do know your tech. So well, let's start off, though, with you. You've just released a new book as well, so The War Widow. Tell us about that. So The War Widow is set in Sydney in 1946. It's got a central female protagonist who's a private investigator. Those were the days when pretty much the only piece of legislation relating to private investigators was that they couldn't call themselves detectives. So the old Hollywood movies with the private detectives, she couldn't call herself that. She's a private inquiry agent, but she gets into quite a bit of strife, quite a bit of action through um, The War Widow. And it's a great nod to noir and, you know, the old Philip Marlowe, Raymond Chandler style of hard-boiled, but reimagined in an Australian context and with a great female protagonist. Sounds fantastic. But... Let's talk about the tech, though. So let, let's start off with your writing process. I'd imagine you'd be you, there'd be a laptop involved, some software. T- talk us through your setup for when you sit down to write. So that is a that's a really good uh, line of questioning because all writers work a little bit differently. But I've been doing this for 21 years now, and I have always worked on a computer. Some of my colleagues at that point were still using typewriters, and 
you know, whiteout and things like that and working <laughs> with hard copies. Um, I never was that person. I embraced laptops as soon as they were widely available. Uh, great for traveling and great for moving around the house. I work from home for the large part um, and I need to be able to have my laptop wherever I'm going to feel comfortable sitting in the sun, sitting in bed, even sitting in a couch. It's it's not very glamorous, but moving around a little bit rather than sitting in a, a particular office space is what okay. works for me. So that's how you like to work. You move to, around a bit. You, you don't like to sit in the same room. You, the, so the laptop comes yes, in handy. That's right. I like a little bit of a different environment, um, a little bit of a change, move my body around a bit. Um, I use your standard standard kind of MacBook. And for years, I used standard Word docs for all my manuscripts. Yep. Um, and I was really stuck on that for far too long. Now I've embraced Scrivener, which is a great uh, writer's program for long form pieces. I really don't use that software to the best of its ability. I haven't um, investigated a lot yeah. of the bells and whistles. A lot of features on I that do, one, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and look, I think Scrivener is fantastic for creating long form work and being able to sort chapters and move chapters around, which is pretty hard if you have one very long word document. So. It's not very high-tech stuff, but that is how I write. I think a writer must also understand save, save, save. Always remember to save your work. That's right. (laughs) And I think with Scrivener, it does some auto-saving too, so we're less likely to get ourselves in trouble. Um, And, of course, a lot of us also use things, whether it's iCloud, Dropbox, you know, even emailing it to ourselves, whatever we think think is safe and suitable for us will tend to save our work off-site as well in case your computer has that saved copy, but the yeah. house burns down or the computer dies on you. And I've certainly had that happen Yeah, before. all good moves. See, you, you're, you're very tech-savvy. You, you were downplaying your tech-savviness before, but that's a very tech-savvy move. <laughs> what about when you're writing? Are you, are you, are you, do you have earphones on? Have you got a speaker nearby? Are you a music listener when you're writing? And if so, what type of uh, speakers or headphones are you using? Um, I've got some Bose headphones at the moment, which I'm enjoying. I I don't listen to music with lyrics, but sometimes I will listen to soundtracks. So um, I find that lyrics and words will obviously distract me from the words that I need to get on the page. Um, But soundtracks are big for me. So it depends on what I'm writing and what stage of writing I'm in. I will sometimes listen to, it could be the John Wick soundtrack. It could be Blade Runner. It could be some classic film that I've enjoyed. Depending on the mood I'm trying to yeah. kind of help myself achieve, I might listen to music that, that corresponds with it. Or I might use that headset to try to drown out the, the noises that just happen in life, especially when you've got a family, you've got a dog, you've got other people in the house and the house is the workspace. So okay. uh, those things can help. So you mentioned before you uh, use Scrivener, and I know one of the features of Scrivener, I'm, I'm aware of the software, uh, there's like a corkboard feature, so it lets you plan out. Are you, are you a planner? Do you plan out or do you just go by the seat of your pants? I am somewhere between a pantser and a plotter, as we often call them. So I probably... Um, aim to be a plotter and end up um, adapting and being flexible to what is actually working in the manuscript. Sometimes you have best intentions and you've done a lot of research on a particular plot line and the characters just say, no, nah, 
I'm not doing it. It's just not me. Um, so I think that when the characters start speaking in your head, that's uh, not a psychiatric condition. It's a it's a condition of being a writer. Um, often those those characters will start to kind of speak to you, and then you know they're well formed, and that that is what you know what you're working with. So going against um, against the grain or against what's working is really yeah, sure. not wise at that stage. So I'm I'm probably right between the two types. Okay. You mentioned research. Uh, are you a big Google? Is Google your best friend here, or are there other resources you use to, like the War Widows, or like a historical novel? So you would have had to do some homework there, wouldn't you? Yeah. Look, it's strange days because with COVID as well, I'm not able to go out into the world and travel to some of the places I would normally normally travel to for research. Um, over the last 13 books, I've done a lot of um, travel research. Well, I'll go to Barcelona, go to Hong Kong go to Paris through the, you know, into the cathedrals and, and through the catacombs and see it in person. At the moment, I'm a bit hamstrung. Obviously, I can't get out, but uh, the internet really is such a boon for writers and research because you can come across a lot of great archival footage. Um, I'm big on things like British Pathé, which is the, um, the, the British archives of uh, documentary footage. Um, great stuff that was on television in the, you know, in the 50s and the 40s. Um, and looking at Trove in Australia, that is a great resource for old newspaper clippings. Yes, Google can be your friend, but it can also be your enemy. So it's always got to be the, the first the first layer. Never let Google just answer your questions for you. Got to keep digging and digging and digging. Um, likewise, and I'm sure for your listeners, this is an obvious one. Likewise, Wikipedia. Don't End your research there. You can sometimes <laughs> use it as a as a first port of call to see what people are saying about a subject, but you really need to dig much, much deeper yeah, than that. And don't take Wikipedia's we word. <laughs> yeah, thankfully we can do a lot of that now online. So um, lucky us that we are in a different age during this pandemic, and it's not the pandemic of the Spanish flu in 1917. So we actually can communicate and work in ways that are different from what the options were for them at the time. Now, let's move forward. You've written your book. It's published. It's in the hands of the readers or in on mm. the screens of the readers or in the ears of the readers. So we're talking printed books, e-books, audio books, so many ways your readers can enjoy your work. Give us your yeah. thoughts on, on well, print is obviously the your the staple. We all oh, that's my favourite form to be honest. But to give yeah. us your thoughts on ebook. Look, I really support books and reading in all forms. I enjoy audiobooks myself because they give my eyes a rest after I've been staring at a computer all day. It also means I might be able to get out and get some exercise, take the dog for a walk, and still stay connected to um, one of my favourite pastimes, which is absorbing those you know fictional or non-fictional books. Um, in terms of reading, yeah, look, I love books. I, I, I collect vintage books. I love the old hard uh, physical pages and the yeah. smell of books. Um, but readers will come at it from all kinds of different directions depending on their lifestyle and needs. And, you know, if you're traveling or for business, for example, you can carry a lot of ebooks with you, but not very many physical books. So it really just depends on what's happening in your world, uh, how you, which medium you're going to choose. I consider them all to be just equal, but have different applications. Sure, and, and I guess you, your work, uh, you, especially on the audio front, do you mm. have specific narrators that that do your always do your books? Is it the same person? Is it a man or a woman that does your books? 
I've had women record quite a few of my novels. Um, the reason why we choose uh, a female narrator is normally because the central characters in my books will tend to be women. So we want to try to capture that central character's kind of feeling and, and um, personality and, and voice. Uh, I've narrated several of my books as well. I think out of the Mac Vanderwall series, I narrated all six novels um, and with my two nonfiction as well. For my Pandora English series, which is paranormal, the central character is younger than I am. So we, um, we cast a wonderful young woman to play her. Um, and now with The War Widow, there's an incredible narrator um, for actually each of the territories. We're doing a German translation at the moment, and we've done American, Canadian, and Australian versions. So you said you, you've done some of your own narration. Mm. That, that's, that is, it's quite a process, isn't it? So you're in a studio. It, it doesn't just take a day. This, this takes quite a long time, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. It would normally take me about two weeks of half days. Um, wow. They tended to book half days because your voice can get a little bit raw by the end of that and the sound quality changes. So I, I quite, I've quite enjoyed narrating my own books. I think when it comes to fiction, personally, I prefer listening to an actor do it, and I'm not an actor, but a lot of readers have relayed to me that they wish I narrated all my books, fiction and otherwise, because they like hearing the author tell the story. So I think there are different ways to look at this, and um, yeah, hopefully any of your listeners uh, who enjoy audiobooks can let me know what they think of the end result of uh, some Absolutely. of these audiobooks. They're all out with Audible and uh, Belinda Audiobooks and all the big um, audio companies. Yeah. And have you been doing much in terms of promoting your books? Like I know normally the normal procedure would be the book is published, you do a bit of a book tour. That's obviously yeah. not possible right now. So how have you been uh, getting contacting and sort of engaging with your readers now that with COVID? Uh, Stephen, it's been a very strange year. I have actually had seven publications come out since the pandemic. Um, they aren't all new and different publications, but two of them were completely new books, um, and the rest were sort of um, books coming out in different territories. So I had several book tours that I was booked to do and to travel around for, uh, and instead I had to do them on my laptop uh, from home. So, yes, I have been doing book tours from home. I think it is a great loss to not be able to safely meet with fans and readers and to shake people's hands and sign books. Um, who knows when it will become safe, certainly to shake hands, but um, when it will become safe even just to do live events. So that, uh, as a writer, we're a pretty solitary uh, type. Um, you tend to spend a lot of time by yourself at home writing or writing in your home office. And when you come out with a book, it is a really lovely experience. You sort of, it, your book is coming out into the world and you get to see people's faces and talk to them about it. And it's a really rewarding and memorable experience. It is a little trickier doing it via Zoom or, you know, all these other mediums that we're using at the moment or even pre-recording something and putting it on YouTube. You know, it's, it is a, a step removed, but some of these events have been marvelous um especially when there's panels with other writers and you just end up having a wonderful conversation about the work and then afterwards you see this great uh, flood of, of of interested readers who have been watching the panel enjoying it and you have that 
online social media interaction, perhaps at a heightened level. So there are certainly connections that are heightened during this pandemic, but I do miss that face-to-face uh, with readers for sure. Definitely. You mentioned social media. Oh, you, you play a pretty mm-hmm. strong social media game. I follow you on Instagram and, <laughs> and Twitter and you're very good at it. Um, so is that another way you find that you engage with your readers? Do they And, and you do engage back. I've seen some of the, your interactions with some of your readers. So is that, that's, a, that's a big part of your, of, of your in relationship with the readers too, isn't it? Look, it very much is, and social media has made a big difference in my world. Um, I wrote about this in my memoir, The Fictional Woman, how in my early career, it was before social media, and people really didn't know me personally at all. Um, They didn't know my voice and sort of what kind of um, interests I had or what my background was. They just knew my photo and they knew that I'd written a book. And that caused some confusion because of my background as a fashion model. Now that I've been on social media for, you know, so long, uh, I think it's been what, 2004 when Twitter came o- online. Is that correct? So it's a little you know, bit later. I, yeah. I was, a little bit later. I think it was 2006 around two, that. Yeah. yeah. It, was, okay. it was a couple so, of years after Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So Facebook was 2004, wasn't that's right. it? Yeah. Um, so it's, I was a pretty early adopter and that changed everything. I started blogging. I started doing Facebook and Twitter and people could see um, live what kind of person I was and I could respond to people. It used to be that you would get mail from readers and it would be, you know, written longhand and come snail mail and you might not have the time to get packed back to people or you, maybe you did sometimes. Now online, you know, you can just reach me, just pop me a question. I'm, I'm probably going to respond. You know, if you're polite and most people are, I'm probably going to get back to you. Um, of course, there's downsides to that availability as well. Uh, and I know we touched on this when we last spoke, Stephen, and I was doing, um, uh, the work with with Norton Security. Also, I did a uh, ABC documentary that I produced and wrote and hosted called Cyber Hate with Tara Moss, and it did focus on yes, the as the name would imply, on cyber hate. So, my overall impression is that the online world has really opened up the social possibilities. It's I think a really positive thing. Um, and we just need to um, manage and navigate some of those more difficult elements. Overall though, I think it's enriching and it's very helpful for someone like me, who's a bit of an introvert, spends a lot of time at home. I actually want to be able to communicate with people mm-hmm. and um, and I enjoy it. So yeah, look, look yeah. me up online. I'll most, pro- most probably answer you back. Well, no I, can, I can confirm that you do respond because I, I reached out to you on Instagram and you replied straight away. I think that, I, hopefully you remembered me from all those years ago but uh, you do I can confirm this interview was organized through Instagram <laughs> of course we really thank appreciate you. you taking the time to talk to us today Tara thank you so much oh my absolute pleasure and it's um it's great to have this conversation to connect again after a few years and look I hope you and yours are well and staying safe this is tech guide the tech guide podcast is proudly supported by Netgear they're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. Is your Wi-Fi struggling to keep up with your streaming, your work, your gaming, video calling, and more? And what happens if you're trying to do all of that at once? When you're connected to your to your world by Wi-Fi, be sure it's the best. 
Bring your Wi-Fi up to speed with Orbi Wi-Fi 6 from Netgear. Orbi Wi-Fi 6 is the best and latest in Wi-Fi. It covers your entire home with the fastest Wi-Fi for uninterrupted streaming, video calling and working and learning from home on more devices than ever before in any part of the house. It's Wi-Fi perfectly engineered. Are you ready for the best Wi-Fi ever? Find out more at netgear.com.au slash best Wi-Fi. And now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennec. It's been a busy week for Apple. Not only have they released the iPhone 12, but they also snuck out the iPad Air. Now, you cast your mind back a few weeks ago when they did announce the iPad Air along with the new Apple Watch. And this was the device that has an all-screen design. So they've lost the home button. Uh, they've made it a bit more powerful and they've also offered it in a number of new colours as well. Uh, the design is, is, is pretty striking. So you, not only are you getting a, a greater, a greater screen, uh, screen area, but you've also got some really fresh colours to choose from as well. The, the version that we got was actually the green new iPad Air. So, but there, are, there is sky blue, space grey, rose gold and silver. But for our review, we were lucky enough to get hold of the, the green, which was nice. It was a subtle green, not too bright and garish. It was actually quite, quite nice. Uh, Apple did a good job there. The iPad Air has a 10.9-inch liquid retina display with a resolution of 2360 by 1640. True Tone, P3 wide color, and an anti-reflective screen coating. So it's a really good, uh, really good experience. Screen quality always been a standout for app with Apple and web pages and apps and photos and videos look fantastic on the screen there. Uh, and not only does your does stuff look good on the screen, but there's also a new wide stereo audio system. So if you're using this to watch movies, they do sound pretty good as well. And the, the whole iPad Air is just 6.1 millimetres thick, would you believe, and only weighs 460 grams. It's also made out of 100% recycled aluminium. Now, the device is powered by the same chip on the iPhone 12, the A14 Bionic. So it means it's great for doing things like editing 4K videos, playing your top-end immersive games, doing some other photo editing uh, CPU graphics performance are both up by 40%, so 40% better than the previous iPad Air. Now, without a home button, you have to. There is another way for you to unlock the iPad Air, and what they've done is relocated the Touch ID to the top power button. So before you used to use the, the used to have a home button, not anymore. So the power button. Now, just you just got to cover you that your finger covers the entire button, and boom, it's unlocked in an instant. Unlike the iPad Pro, which is kind of the model above this one, uh, that has Face ID, but this one doesn't do it. This one only has Touch ID, which is fine, works pretty quick. But what I learned though is that I had to, I programmed two um, fingers into the into Touch ID, so one. One was when it's on it's when if it's on in landscape mode that button's on the left. If I'm if I'm using it in portrait mode that button's on top. So I do need my left and right index fingers to have the fingerprints registered, so I can unlock it no matter what the orientation. Also new to the iPad Air is the USB C port. 
So that gives you the ability to connect external monitors, digital cameras, drives, you name it. Uh, and that sort of adds to the usefulness of the iPad Air, I think. It puts it closer to the pro bracket than it would be from the entry level uh, as well. So the front-facing FaceTime camera, 7 megapixel resolution. So your FaceTime video calls are looking pretty cool. Front camera can also shoot video at 1080p, 60 frames per second. On the rear is, this, is the new 12 megapixel camera, which is the same as the main camera on the iPad Pro. So you are getting uh, decent quality there. On the connectivity side, you've also got Wi-Fi 6. Uh, so that can give you speeds of up to 1.2 gigabits per second connection. So if you have the, the Netgear Wi-Fi 6 Orbi router that we mentioned earlier, that is uh, that that's, uh, can be even faster on that network. Uh, and the cellular versions also offer gigabit class LTE as well if you want to put a SIM card in it so you don't have to hunt up a wireless network. Uh, of, of course, too, the iPad Air supported by Apple's accessories, including Apple Pencil, the second-generation Apple Pencil that works with iPad Pro, and the Magic Keyboard, which was also introduced with the iPad Pro. And uh, the, the Apple Pencil, of course, thanks to iPad OS 14, adds a whole lot of a whole new dimension to how you use the iPad. It does offer a, a great way to enter text, make handwritten notes, annotate photos, PDF screenshots, and a new feature called Scribble allows you to use your handwriting in any text field where you would normally have typed. So very handy indeed. Uh, with the Magic Keyboard, of course, too, it does add the a trackpad. So if you uh, you attach it to Magic Keyboard and it has this nice cantilever design where the iPad Air just sort of hangs above the keyboard, easy to adjust the viewing angle as well. You can adjust it at any angle. It really turns it into a product that can be used as a laptop replacement. So with with the iPad Air, I've called it the Goldilocks iPad because it's just right. It's not it's not the entry level eighth generation, which is still a capable iPad. But for that customer who wants slightly more but doesn't want to pay the big money of an iPad Pro, the iPad Air really stands out. I think uh, you know if you want a bigger screen, of course, you go to a twelve point nine inch screen. That's an option with the iPad Pro, and the iPad Pro has a lot more power. You you can do a lot more on the iPad Pro than you can on the iPad Air, but the iPad Air is still no slouch, still a powerful experience, but without breaking the bank. Uh, the iPad Air is priced from $899. Uh, that's for the 64 gig Wi-Fi version, all the way up to $1,329 if you want Wi-Fi, cellular, and 256 gig worth of storage. If you want to read our complete iPad Air review, you can check it out at techguide.com.au. Alrighty, up next is the Audiofly AFT2 True Wireless In-Ear Headphones. Now, I'll say off the bat, this is an Australian brand, Audiofly. We've been covering their earphones for a couple of years now. Uh, they're a Perth-based company, and they've delivered a really impressive wire-free earphones here. And they do look a little unusual, though. And and they are, I'll, I'll say at the top, they're priced under 200 bucks, which puts them in the high-value category. They do punch well above their weight. So for what you get and the price you pay, they are pretty good. The AF2 earphones 
include six millimeter dynamic drivers. They've also got the Qualcomm Bluetooth 5.0 chipset. So you've got a solid connection as well as solid sound through those dynamic drivers. But on the design side, they look a little different than other wire-free earphones on the market. So the, 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 the bit that faces out, so the, the panel of the bud actually looks like a like the letter D. It, it, it's sort of it's designed it's based on the custom in-ear monitors used by professional musicians. If anyone who's used professional monitors, uh, the earphones look a lot like this and the audio fly decided and that that's their background by the way, making professional monitors for musicians. So those little earphones they wear so that when they're in a playing playing their own music, they can hear themselves, hear how they sound. So that's what Audiofly decided to do is base the design on what a professional musician would use. And despite them looking a little different, they still fit quite comfortably. You twist them into place and the way they even sit across your ear, that also helps reduce the outside outside noise. Now these these aren't active noise cancellation. They do offer a little bit of a passive noise cancellation, but you can still hear uh, the outside world, which is good, I think, uh, especially when you're exercising, you're running or walking near a road, you kind of need to hear what's going on around you. Uh, so I think that they offer a nice balance. Uh, you can, the the or the sound itself, I've got to say, punches above its weight. The quality you hear is something you'd expect from a more expensive earphone. So, you know, the, the, they're not going to, they're not better than a Sennheiser or, or Bose $400 earphones, but, uh, for the for their own price category, I'd say they are above average, uh, and also really big a real big fan of their bass response too. If you like bass in your music, they do provide plenty of punch. I'm always I'm a big fan of a decent bass without going too overboard. But um, these the AFT two from AudioFly really do deliver a really pleasant listening experience. Their music quality is better than you think. Uh, and when it comes to call quality as well, I'm a big fan of not having to take my earphones out if I receive a phone call or if I've got to do a radio interview. I, I prefer to have my earphones in if I'm walking or whatever I'm doing. If, if the earphones could give me a good result there, then extra marks for it. And the AFT2 passed the test. Uh, they have a technology called the Qualcomm CVC, which is short for Clear Voice Capture. This is noise cancellation technology that can isolate your voice from the outside condition. So noise cancellation for calls, not for your music. So if you making a call, and we went out into windy conditions to make our calls, uh, we, were, we, we were told we could be heard quite clearly. I've done radio interviews on these things as well, and it sounded like I was just talking into the phone. So core quality, big tick. Uh, IPX5 rated as well, so they got their water resistant. Battery life too, this is strong. 10 hours, up to 10 hours on a single charge. That's better than any earphones we've seen. And of course, that doesn't include the case. The case adds another 25 hours for a total of 35 hours. Uh, the case itself is a, it's tubular. It has flat ends. It has this little slide-out drawer so you can place the earphones in and then slide it shut again. Uh, even though it's a little bit bigger, the shape of the case, it makes it easy to put in your pocket. So it's not like having a big box in your pocket. It's more tubular. or It's like an oval shape, um, the whole thing, top to bottom. Uh, but again, they, they can uh, charge up your, your audio flies. 35 hours in total, that's pretty good. Uh, now, in terms of the... 
not not having a companion app like a lot of earphones have an app that lets you tune that you tweak the sound this doesn't have that and i don't think it's a deal breaker we were satisfied with the sound out of the box so having an equalizer that sort of hardly changes the sound really didn't change our opinion of the audio flies so that's not a deal breaker at all but uh, overall i think these are fantastic value earphones 199 bucks wire free great audio quality great battery life and great value uh, they're available in gum leaf, which is green, sunset, uh, which is sort of reddish, sand, which is sort of uh, grey, br- uh, like uh, sort of beigey colour, and granite, which is what we had there, sort of more a grey colour. Uh, 199 bucks. The AudioFly AFT2 True Wireless In-Ear Headphones. If you want to, you want to read our complete review, head over to TechGuide.com.au. Foxtel customers get excited. There's a new voice control that they're going to activate now on uh, on the box, on the IQ3 and the IQ4. If you've had the IQ4, in fact, if you've had the Netflix remote, it's the remote that's got the shortcuts to TV shows, movies, sport, and the little Netflix button. If you've had this for a while, and I've had mine for over a year now, you'll notice in the top of the, of the remote, underneath the word Foxtel, is a little button with a microphone on it. Now, this has been on your remote. You're probably thinking, what the hell is that for? It's a, it's your voice control button, but it hasn't worked. It won't work until now. Fox has only just turned this feature on. So uh, if you don't have the remote, you can order it for $29. Um, so there would be a lot of older remotes that are working with IQ3s and even early versions of the IQ4 that never had the, that remote. So uh, it is $29. bucks. you can uh, just log into Foxtel, your account, and order that. They'll send it out, and you'll find that the microphone – that voice control can now allow you to browse and navigate your shows simply by using your voice. So voice control works through the latest remote and is incredible to include shortcuts to movies, TV shows, and to start Netflix but not control Netflix. At the top of the remote is the button with the microphone symbol. So what you do is press and hold the microphone button to activate the voice function and then just talk into the remote like it's a microphone. And what you can do with it is really handy. So you can find find stuff. So if you if you want to find a particular movie, you can just recite a quote from the film. So if you want to watch uh, The Godfather, you can just say, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse, and it'll think, oh, he wants to watch The Godfather. Uh, or you can say, Hasta la vista, baby, and then Terminator 2 will start. Not only that, but you can also search for movies by genre, or by stars, or by directors. Or you can just say Nicole Kidman, or you can say Steven Spielberg, or horror movies, and then you're you're away. And if you're into your sport, you can say play South Sydney Rabbitohs games, or South Sydney matches, or you can just say, if you're a cricket fan, you can say, what a catch, in imitating the great Bill Laurie, or just say American football, or say sitcoms, if you want to watch comedies, or whatever you want to do. Um, so really handy getting to your content. But you can also control the set-top box with your voice as well. Uh, you can change a channel, for example. So rather than having to scroll through 58 channels, you can just say Fox League and it'll go straight to the, that channel. Or you could say Captions On to activate the subtitles. I've had to talk my parents through a couple of uh, times where the captions have come on and uh, I've got to give them the instructions on how to turn it off again. Well, now they've just got to press the microphone and say Captions Off and that'll turn them off. Uh, and you, you can also now, and this is another cool feature, use your voice 
to find your spot or to play and pause what you're watching. So you can might say play, pause, or you might say go back 10 minutes or go go forward 30 seconds, go back 30 seconds. Really easy to do that now with voice control. Simply log into your Foxtel account. You need an IQ3 or an IQ4 uh, and the remote, of course, the remote's 29 bucks. But worth having, really handy feature, makes your Foxtel viewing even better. If you want to find out more about that, check it out, techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Norton. They're the company that can keep you and your family safe online. There's been a rapid increase in cybercrime with constant data breaches, online scams and ransomware, just to name a few. Norton's all-in-one cyber safety solution, Norton 360 Premium, now comes with dark web monitoring powered by LifeLock, which helps notify you if your personal information is discovered on the dark web. It also includes device security and a secure VPN with bank-grade encryption to help keep you private online, plus a password manager, PC safe cam, and more. With Norton's award-winning security and globally trusted protection across 50 million customers, rest assured Norton 360 Premium with dark web monitoring is the all-in-one protection for your devices and your data. Norton 360 Premium is available now at leading retailers. And now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. The Tech Guide Help Desk brought to you by our good mates at Belkin. And as I mentioned earlier, Belkin have actually released, are releasing a range of new products to, uh, that will work with the iPhone 12, a three-in-one dock for that works with MagSafe and also a car mount. So keep an eye out for those. We had a question from a reader who was not interested in uh, getting Spotify or Apple Music. They said they've just bought a new car, doesn't have a CD player, but does have CarPlay. What can I do? Well, one option would be to get Apple Music uh, or Spotify, but he was, didn't seem to be interested in that. He said he's got a massive CD collection and wanted to rip his CDs or play. How he, his question was, how do I get my CDs to play in my car without a CD player? Uh, the answer to that is he needs to import his CDs into Apple Music. He said he owns an iMac and does have a disk drive. So it's a matter of just ripping them into his music library, syncing that music library to his iPhone, and then being able to play that when the phone is connected to CarPlay. So it's a long way around. He was pretty uh, pretty uh, firm in the fact he didn't want to get Spotify, didn't want to get Apple Music, just wanted to play his own music, uh, and there is a way to do it. Uh, Apple Music still allows you to rip your music into into the software and then in the on the app on your phone, you'll be able to access your library on the app. Even though he doesn't want to pay for an account, it will still work uh, where, with him just being able to access his music. So there you go. If you've still got a, a whole CD collection and you want to play it through CarPlay, uh, you'll need to get to work. And that's how you can do it using your disk drive and also the Apple Music app to import them and listen to your music to your heart's content. That's our show for this week. Full time has sounded. Everything we've talked about on the show, you can find at techguide.com.au and get in touch with us. Send us an email, info at techguide.com.au. Special shout out to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you and your family and your devices safe online. Thank you again for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected.